Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right, good morning, guys. How you doing? What'd you guys think about the video? Pretty good? Yeah, man. A shout out to our friends at The Bible Project. They do some incredible work, and our graphics team and social media team here who put that together for us. Really excited to kick off this new series today called Witness. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you gathering with us this morning in person and online. And as we get into today, just a couple of quick notes. No matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. A desire is to meet you where you are, help you take some next steps in your spiritual journey, whatever that might mean for you today. And um, really excited for this new series as we are on the heels of Easter. Heels? Toes? Which side are we on of that, uh, of that thing as Easter comes up around the corner? So I've got a couple of quick announcements for you before we get into the message today. So number one, Easter weekend is around the corner and we are going to be gathering Friday uh, on, on Good Friday for a night of worship and prayer. So this is uh, the, the 7th, 6.30 p.m., a little different than our Sunday morning gatherings, a focus on worship and prayer together, um, and so no formal message or anything like that. There's child care provided nine months through kindergarten, and so it's an incredible evening to get together and prioritize the space of the weekend to reflect on Jesus, his, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we want to help you uh, just mark your calendars, 6.30 p.m., Friday night. We'd love to have you here for that evening. And then up next, that Saturday, we have a huge Easter egg hunt and block party. You guys pumped about it? Three of us are pumped. Listen, I'm going to eat as many snow cones as I possibly can, and it's going to be great. So, or at least my kids definitely will do that. So we, we do this large block party for our community. We've done it a couple of years now, and it is a really, really big deal, and we're really glad to serve our community. We intentionally do it on a Saturday because we want to love and serve our community with no strings attached, and so it's not come to church on Sunday, and then your kids get an egg hunt afterwards. It's, hey, we're going to love you and serve you regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey and regardless of what we can get out of you. And if you want to connect to the community of City Church, then it's going to be a great outlet for that as well. So a big part of this Easter egg hunt and block party being a success is our church community being involved. So there's a couple hundred people. Last year we had over 400 people at this block party. There were 2,000 eggs that were gone in like 30 seconds. Kids were crying. It was wonderful. It was the best. That was a little bit of a joke. Um, they, were, they were crying, though. Um, but this year, we've got 3,000 eggs, which is awesome, and, uh, and separating even more of the groups of kids. And what we really need is our community there to serve and to get engage and to love. And so we want you to mark your calendars for the block party on uh, April 8th. It's going to be at 3.30 p.m. to 5.30. If you're interested in serving at the block party in a formal manner, you can take those connection cards that are in the seat backs in front of you, or if you're guests, you should have received one on the way in, and circle the letter B for block party. And if you want to sign up, uh, that's a great way to do it. If you're in a city group, then our leaders in those city groups are also helping you sign up. But it's everything from snow cones to giving kids cool tats, airbrushed tattoos, but they're still cool. 
um, and popcorn and running bounce houses and yard games and all of the cool stuff that we do at this block party. We also have to have like Easter egg bouncers, okay? So if you just like to intimidate little children, we need you, okay? Because last year, sad, how, how sad is this? Each cool area has like a golden egg with a cool prize for the kids and someone just walking by just stole the golden egg out of, out of the little kids area. And so there was no golden egg for the little kids. It was so sad, yep. And we all cried, and we went home super depressed, and Easter didn't even happen. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. I mean, it was terrible, guys. That's a joke, but uh, it was really, it was rough. So we have egg, egg bouncers now. Um, you get to kindly and lovingly tackle children in the name of Jesus. It's great. It's wonderful. Um, so if you want to serve at the block party, circle B on your connection card or let your city group leaders know. We would love to have you. And if you don't want to serve in a formal position, again, we would love to have you there because we are going to have some intentional space of just engaging in community. You'll hear about it in the message in just a minute, but we're even doing a training next Sunday after our morning gathering in order to equip and empower our church to have intentional conversations. So it's not just like you show up and you're like, what do I do? I'm an introvert and I don't know how to talk to people. We're going to equip you with tools to engage in community and love people well. So the block party is going to be great. Um, and then also, just a heads up, if you are interested in helping stuff eggs for the block party, because we have conveniently right now 3,000 eggs that are disconnected from their loving innards, okay? So they need candy in them. You guys, I'm trying to have some fun this morning. I feel like all my jokes are like just, we have eggs that need to be stuffed, okay? So if you will take some time, as you leave today, Michelle will be out there with giant boxes of eggs and candy of different quantities, and they need to be put together and then brought back as we prepare for that block party. So if you're interested, you can grab those on the way out today. And last but not least, Easter Sunday. Who's pumped about Easter Sunday? Easter Sunday is going to be an incredible day. It's on the 9th. It's when we normally gather. It's a normal gathering, but we get to celebrate Jesus' resurrection and, and this incredible point in history. This is also a great day. If you have people in your life that are spiritually interested, uh, this is a great space for them to wrestle with faith. faith. And so um, it's going to be a really encouraging and exciting day as we worship together and gather together, but also an intentional space for people who are wrestling with faith as we gather. And so as you leave today, there are going to be uh, um, some of our team on either sides of the doors with some of those invites. It's got the block party on the back, an Easter invite on the front, and that's to equip you to go out and to invite people as well as through all the digital platforms. And so that is all of my announcements. You guys good? It's a lot. Maddie does a lot better job, I know, but that was this the best you got today, okay? Um, she's serving in City Kids, which is super cool. So um, today, we're kicking off this brand new series called Witness, and I don't know how that, that word strikes you. The video from the Bible Project I thought was super helpful. That was actually not all of it. We had to trim it down for the sake of time, so you can go back to the Bible Project and watch kind of the full scope. It does some Old Testament work, too. They're incredible. There's tons of cool resources, uh, thebibleproject.com. They do a great job. Um, but in this space, I thought it was helpful for them to kind of do the digging on that word from the scriptures rather than just, oh, listen, I don't know your backgrounds. I didn't grow up in church, but I still, when I came to faith, it was still in the South, and there was still some of those things that like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how this sits. So like, you know, let's go witnessing. You know, anybody ever heard that? No? Just me? Okay, cool. Right, we're not doing that. Um, that's not what's happening today. And so what does it mean to be a witness? So let's go to Jesus because this is where this word comes from for us. Acts chapter 1. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, we're going to start there. My notes are, are not in here. Um, but we've been in this premise of a series. We just wrapped up our, uh, our identity, calling, and community series. Did you guys enjoy that? Was it helpful? 
Super great, man. It was so helpful, informative, and I'm really grateful for all the work we've done in community, large groups, and small groups. And over and over again, we ask the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And if you're wrestling with faith, trying to figure out what this Jesus thing means, this is really important because it's not just an invitation from Jesus to rearrange the mental furniture of your mind and kind of have a, a set of beliefs that align uh, you know, mentally, and then it has no bearing on your life. But Jesus specifically, when he invites us to follow him, here's what it means. Number one, to be with Jesus. Number two, anybody? Oh, hey, let's, let's save the last one. Nah, yeah. Number three, do what Jesus did. Let's go. It's okay. Uh, um, so I got to like work with my booth in the back, like see if I can, they don't ever know how to follow me, by the way. It's always like they're trying to, I'm all over the place and they don't know. So um, as, we, as we get into it, uh, we are in this series of witness really focusing on the do what Jesus did part. So be with Jesus is the relationship. That's where it starts. Become like Jesus. A lot of the last six weeks in that identity series was about our becoming. Who are we becoming? Specifically people of love in the image of Jesus and our true selves. But then as we work out the inward journey of becoming, there's also the external practice of doing. And, and what we do forms us, true? You guys remember that, right? Like it's not just what we know and what we think and what we believe, but what we do forms us. And so the, the formational practice over the next couple of weeks is doing the stuff of Jesus, and specifically um, this invitation to bear witness. So let's go now to Acts chapter one. Thank you, Charlie, you're crushing it. I'm just a little behind the game today. So this is Jesus right after the resurrection that we're going to celebrate in a couple of weeks, and he's with his early followers, and here is the maybe familiar, maybe not command to you and I. Lord, are you at this time, this is the question from the disciples, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So everyone's kind of set on this idea that, that Jesus was this coming king, which they were right on that part, but they were really expecting like a tangible, get us out from underneath the boot of Rome and establish your kingdom, Jesus, right now here. So that's what they're kind of expecting, especially after they unbelieved and ran away, and now he's back from the dead, and they're kind of re-believing. So now they're like, wow, well, dude, if this guy can come back from the dead, then definitely here comes the kingdom. That's where their heart and mind are. And here's what Jesus says. It is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. There's that word, martyreo. In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And for Jesus, that language is going to be a geographical thing in circles. It's Boulder and Denver and the U.S. and the world. That, that would have been the same kind of language. And so Jesus gives this command to be witnesses. But here's maybe the question that you and I should wrestle with. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, this might be a really helpful conversation for you of why a follower of Jesus would want to make their faith known to someone else. And so what witnesses of what exactly, I think, is a really good question. Like, what, what are we witnessing to and about and in what way specifically? Because some of you have had experiences and exposures where like, well, that's really weird and that was freaky and that was disturbing and that, I'm never doing that, right? So you're like, what are we talking about when it means to be a witness for Jesus? Now, here's what's interesting is all four of the gospels, which are these, these first four books in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of these good news accounts of the life of Jesus, they end with a call to what Jesus calls making disciples. We just read Acts is kind of this two-volume from, from Luke and Acts. He was the author of both of those, so that we just read it. But let me show you a few others where Jesus seems to over and over again emphasize, and the authors captured this. So Matthew chapter 28, 
This is maybe one you're more familiar with. All authority, Jesus said, this is after his resurrection. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. So it's the same, same language, same account, just different gospel writers. So go be my witnesses. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Or take John 20. This is John's account of Jesus' same words. Jesus, after his resurrection, says, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. Or Mark's account in Mark 16, he says to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So I don't know about you, but, but it's pretty interesting that all four gospel accounts capture this from Jesus. And this seems to be, for Jesus, a non-negotiable. Not only do we see it throughout his life and his invitation as he's training his disciples, but then at the end, this is what he leaves them with over and over again. And so the question that you and I need to wrestle with, if we're followers of Jesus, and if the goal is to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did, then this has to be a part of it. Would you agree? Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, just based on the logic of Jesus' command, I mean, these are not suggestions. These are clear commands for Jesus' followers to go and do something. And so then the question is, what does that look like, and how do we do that? And that sounds pretty intimidating, and, and I find it really interesting. You might ask the question, why? Why is this Jesus' priority? Let me show you in Luke 19. And this is something maybe familiar that we've, we've shared before, but I, I want you to just be, be reminded of it today. In more places than one, but this is one of them. In Luke 19, Jesus says that the Son of Man, referring to himself, came to seek and to save the lost. This, uh, Jesus says, this is my purpose. This is my priority. This is why I stepped out of heaven, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and, and died on the cross, was buried and rose again. To seek and to save the lost was the purpose for which I came. And, the, and that, that word, that lost, is, is this language from Jesus that's actually really uh, compassionate. As he says, those who have lost their way, and, and the goal is people far from God, that Jesus would bring them back into relationship with God. He says, I came for this purpose, to seek and to save the lost. And so one of the questions that you and I might ask is, well, how is he doing that today? Like, it makes sense if Jesus is, like, walking around doing that. We saw him do that. As you read the script, you see him over and over again. That's his priority. But how is he doing that today? He does it today through you and I. That this is not meant to be disconnected from the command of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations, including my neighbors, coworkers, and friends. And... And here's the deal, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you are here as a follower, odds are because someone was courageous enough to be a witness to you, true or false. Through their life example, through their words, through their compassion, probably not through standing on a street corner holding a sign, you know, saying, you know, turn or burn, baby, you know, like probably not that, but probably through their life example and their love, you are a follower of Jesus today because someone else had the courage and the boldness to be a witness of this good news that we're gonna talk about in a second to you. And because they had the courage to do that, it literally changed your life, true or false. Can we just put our hands together for God's goodness working through others? That's amazing, right? 
It's huge. Like my life is radically different today because someone had the courage and the boldness to share, to be a witness of this good news that I was unaware of or that I had a misunderstanding of, that I only had pieces of. And that is true of, my, uh, of your life as well. Now here's what I find really challenging uh, um, by the way, we, we've got, we were in India last year doing some work with some of our church planting partners, and we're, we're going to be in India again in September, and you're going to hear more about that, an invitation to go overseas with us if you're interested in being a part of, of work like that overseas. But one of the things that I've noticed around the world that we also see in the book of Acts is over and over again, every time things get hard for followers of Jesus, especially in Acts, they continue to play, pray not for like safety or anything like that, like kind of the normal prayers that we pray, but they pray for boldness and courage to keep going. And, and I, like over and over again, like people are dying for their faith both around the world right now and in the book of Acts right after these commands from Jesus. And they don't pray, ah, oh, God, keep us safe. God, this sucks. We didn't sign up for this. Like, wow, what are they going to think about me? They, they pray, God, give me the boldness to keep being a witness. And I, that just kind of blows my mind. I don't know about you, but that's, that's crazy to me. And so convicting at the same time. And again, the, 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 the prayer for boldness is specifically to be witnesses. So let, let, me, let me show you, this is similar to the passage we were in last week, so I just want to show you Luke chapter 4 real fast. Listen to Jesus' language here when we're talking about the priority of, of this conversation. Jesus said, I must this is an imperative, proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. I came to seek and save. That's why I'm here. And in this moment, they're trying to get him to stay in this one village. And he says, I must go share it with more people. I must. Now, when you, when you read that word, how does it sit with you? Is that a word of duty from Jesus or is it a, a place of passion? Right? Because what is it about good news? If, if you and I genuinely have good news in any area of, of, of life, like, we kind of can't help but share it. Have you noticed that? Like any kind of good news that you have, you just kind of naturally, it bubbles out of you. You just kind of naturally share it. Like, oh man, have you seen season one of The Last of Us? Right? Like, oh, it's such good news. Except for, uh, apparently, I was shot down this week. I've got like a couple people that think it was awesome. A couple people that are like, well, it was all right. I'm like, well, I'll keep my good news to myself. Sorry about that. Um, but in other ways, right, like Stranger Things season four is coming out. There's good news or whatever your good news is. I, I'm, I'm apparently stuck in Netflix right now, but like that's the space, right? Like when, when, the, when, the, when the vaccines came out for a lot of people, that was good news or whatever it is. Deion Sanders is working for the CU buffs now. That's good news. He's here this morning. That's good. No, not really. Um, but if anybody knows him, invite him to City Church, okay? Just, just. Just a heads up. Or if you're watching online, Dion, we are so glad you're here. All right. So good news. We can't help but share it. But then when we get to this space, right, for Jesus, this is not, I, I got to go to the other towns and share the good news, right? But like, seriously, how, how many of us kind of have this allergic reaction the second we, talk, we, we start talking about like sharing your faith or living on mission with God or preaching the good news and we're like, this is not, not what we're about. So, a couple of quick things. Number one, a resource for you. Um, this series is going to be awesome. It's, got, it's a couple weeks long. 
Uh, I believe it's going to be eight weeks total. Um, Tim Keller wrote this awesome little book called How to Reach the West Again. Tim Keller's an awesome, really, really smart dude in uh, New York, and um, he's an incredible guy to learn from. What's really cool is this is only 60 pages long, guys. So I got you. Listen, I know I recommend a book every other week, but this one you can pick up. And, and he, again, he, he's really, really smart, and so it's a little heady at times to get through, but it really is a good resource for beginning to equip you and I to think about what it means to live on mission in a post-Christian context. And it's probably not what you think, but it's, it's genuinely a really good read and really easy to digest. And so I highly recommend you pick that up. We'll make the, the free downloadable link available. It's a free ebook, by the way, so you don't even have to buy it. How awesome is that? So that's good news. There you go, number one. And then number two, next week, I already mentioned it, but I want you to just know ahead of time, we're doing an, an intentional conversations workshop next week. And so this is, how do, how do you move conversations in your life from casual to meaningful to spiritual? This is something you can see in your family members or neighbors, coworkers, friends, you name it, any space and time. This is just a natural workshop of practicing together how to move conversations from casual to meaningful to spiritual out of love to the person that you're talking to. And so I want to encourage you, you should have received the email for this sign-up if you're already in our system here at City Church. If you did not receive the email, you can check your junk folder, or today you can sign, uh, circle the letter W on your connection card and sign up. There will be child care provided. This will be right after church next Sunday, 1230 to 2. Lunch will be provided. And again, think workshop. So not sitting together, listening to someone talk. This is, here's some tools. Let's practice this together. And again, this is not just for like the block party coming up, which is a great exercise place for you to try these tools and just love our community well, rather than just standing there awkwardly, hoping that Drake can talk to everybody. Yes, I'm an extrovert, but I still have limits, guys, okay? So it's not my job, it's your job, it's our job together to love people well. And this is also something you can apply very naturally to the places where you live, work, and play. All right, that's my resources. Now, as we get into this conversation today, I just got to acknowledge some tensions. I've already been doing it for a moment, but I just need to give it to you. This can be an emotionally charged conversation. Yes? Like already, you tried to figure out how you can get out of here, and you're like, oh, it's so awkward. He can see me if I stand up and walk out. And like, right, so here we go. Listen, in a pluralistic culture that you, like, like you and I live in, not only in the West, but in Boulder specifically, one of, it feels like, and this is this could be true probably for most of us. It can feel like one of the highest moral values of our current day and age is tolerance. Especially with the blasts from social media and the spaces that you find ourselves in, tolerance is elevated to such a high place that anything that feels less than can almost seem immoral. And so, so when we start having conversations about witnessing or sharing the good news, or living on mission and sharing your faith with other people, it can feel almost immoral to share your good news with others. You guys feel that tension? Not, not, not because it is, but because of the way that the narrative of our culture is spinning language around tolerance. So this is, this is just an already challenging space of who am I to tell someone else about truth or reality, you live your own truth, all that, all, that, all that wonderful jazz that's happening right now. And so, in light of that, I just want to acknowledge that tension up front, that it can feel like that. I just want you to kind of push back on some of that. In fact, Tim Keller does some, does, does some good work in that book of just helping with language, because I think it's a big part of it. But we, I think we can also feel emotionally allergic 
to the idea of sharing the good news or preaching the gospel because of either poor experiences that we've had or exposures that we've had or, or we have family and friends that have had even worse experiences and exposures than we have had. And so then we just kind of like overreact and maybe swing the pendulum to like, okay, well, we're not going to be door knocking, so we're going to live this kind of private sector of our Christian faith where we hope that people figure out that we're Christians by how good we are. By how, you know, we're going to leave some cookies on our neighbor's doorstep, and we're going to hope that they figure out Jesus is Lord. Like, we just hopefully, those cookies are so good that their life has changed forever. Now, Danielle's cookies, that might be possible, but, but for the rest of us, like, I don't know. I don't know, right? And so, and so we have this unique tension in the West because of some of the pressures that we feel and the bad experiences. And I think, I think fear is a big one to where we want to make our faith primarily personal. And, you know, we'll share if someone asks, but man, to, to intentionally go out of, I mean, mm, I don't know. I don't know how we feel. So when Jesus is talking about the lost, what was his primary concern? I came for the purpose of seeking and saving the lost, which were all of us until we were introduced to Jesus. And so when Jesus uses that language of lost, again, it's not, it's not meant to be derogatory. It's a term of compassion, as in people disconnected or far from God. Have you, have you ever been lost before? Right? And like, just because you got lost doesn't mean like you're a bad or immoral person, right? Or like unintelligent or stupid. That doesn't necessarily, I mean, it could mean that. Like I've been lost sometimes. I'm like, okay, that was my fault. But other times, like I remember one time we were helping this church in North Carolina, like early on in our student ministry days. And we were like out there helping them and they were like doing door hangers. And, um, and they had these cool cards on them. It had like Chuck Norris approves this church, I think is what the, it was awesome. And so we were like putting these like door hangers on all these doors and in the middle of North Carolina, and all of a sudden we like ended up in this neighborhood that then turned into a forest. And then we had like three teenagers like lost in the forest for three hours with one juice box. And like, and this was pre like maps on your phone. And so I don't even know how they made it back to civilization, but they came back and like, I kid you not, it looked like they'd been on a safari. They're scratched up and cut up. And I'm like, did you get attacked by a bear? What happened? They're like, nope, just walked through the forest. I'm like, man, that was a rough forest for you. So, right, it doesn't mean that you're unintelligent or immoral. It just simply means that you lost your way. And, and I think for our culture, right, you can have it all in our culture. You can have everything lined up. Everything can look like it's going in the right direction, up and to the right in your life, and you can still be lost, especially when it comes to what it means to have a relationship with God. And Jesus says, this is why I came, so that the lost can be found. And I love it. It's not like Jesus put, puts it like, hey, hopefully, with their own moral compass, they figure out how to get out of the, the, the woods and then make it to me. Jesus actually goes on a pursuit for the lost. That's the beauty of the God that, that we follow, is that he is on pursuit of us to find the lost and bring us back. And then Jesus looks at you and I and his followers, and he says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. So this is the space that we're in. Now, here, here is a quote from this guy named Mortimer Arias. He said, every generation of Christians has the unique and non-transferable responsibility of sharing the good news with its own generation. So, so the, the space and this call from Jesus is unique to you and I right now. And, and uh, if you take some stats from the global missions movement, um, they use terms like an unreached people group, and what that means around the world, if an area is less than 2% Christian, they, they classify that as an unreached people group. 
And so then, like some of our missionaries around the world right now, they are in places that are, through that definition, unreached. But I want you to know, depending on the stats that you use, Boulder is borderline on the space of an unreached people group, right? That's the space that we live in. And so I don't want you to be surprised about the space that we live in as we live out our faith of sharing Jesus. And so here, here's the challenge, is that you and I live in a world that has its own narrative and has its own gospel. Gospel, that word literally means good news, okay? It's actually not a religious term at all, and I will unpack that in just a second. But as we talk about the gospel, our cultural narrative right now has all kinds of different gospels. And so whatever the good news is from your social media feed and from the self-help section that you find yourself in and some of the friend circles that you have around you, this up and to the right, chase the American dream, materialism, hedonism, experiences the highest and best calling, like whatever the people around us fill in the gaps with, there is a gospel in our culture that says this is the good news if you can attain it. The problem with the gospels in our culture are they, con- they are continually falling short of what they promise to deliver. And most of us in the room already know that because we've tried and, and have felt the weight of, of it not being able to hold up its promise. And so what is the gospel? That's what we're talking about today. Because I think before we talk about what we're sharing and how to share, which we're going to do that over the next couple of weeks, we've got to answer the question, like, what is it that we're talking about? And by the way, I don't want you to miss it. Next week, we have some of our team from the Philippines, the, uh, the feeding center that we work with, that we give uh, uh, finance, financially every uh, week towards that. And in addition to, like, if you're a first-time guest, you fill out the connection card, we give money in your honor to that space. That team of, uh, from the feeding center is going to be here next week. So sharing not only what's going on there, which is super cool, but also sharing about how to live on mission. So super cool. And then it's Easter, and it's going to be awesome. And then after that, Maddie's going to be up here, and she's going to crush it on how to do the stuff of living on mission. And then we got some other guest speakers coming out. And so it's going to be a really intentional uh, like place in this series of how to flesh this out. But today, we've got to answer the what and the why. So John 3.16 might be a familiar verse to you, but we've got to, we've got to kind of put it up there. For God so loved the world... Jesus said that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so what is the gospel? This is the most famous verse on the planet. Many people can quote it. It might be, you know, uh, uh, painted on a football player's, you know, under their eyes or whatever, right? This is one of those spaces that, okay, people are familiar. But like, what does this mean? Does it mean believe in Jesus and go to heaven when you die? And that's all that you got to do? Just kind of have a mental rearranging of your set of beliefs and then, cool, you're good at the end of your life? Because that's how it's been presented for a lot of people. It's what I think Dallas Willard called, he called it cheap grace. Just a space of, hey, pray this prayer, and then you're set for life. Is it not maybe more than that? Is it, is it maybe that Jesus had a little more to give us? So, so listen to Jesus in Mark chapter 1 here. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, or the gospel. There's that word again. This is the word in Greek, euangelion. It's where we get the word evangelism. If you ever heard that word and it kind of gives you the heebie-jeebies, that's where that word comes from. Proclaiming the good news, the gospel of God. And then here's how Jesus, this is the good news according to Jesus, okay? The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So for Jesus, good news, again, this is not a religious word. This is not even unique to Jesus. This is actually a political term. And so 
this is in the space for Jesus and, and where he's at. They're under Roman rule, and so this is language of a king and kingdom that when a new king and a new kingdom would be taking over an area, they would come and share this gospel, this good news of a new king and a new kingdom. So this was not unique to Jesus. This was common language of the spread of good news. A royal announcement would be made in a city when there was a new king and a new kingdom coming to rule and reign. And so for Jesus, he says, hey, the time has come. As in everything that you've been looking for, looking forward to, trying to understand, it's here in front of you. This is the climax of God's purposes and plans throughout history right here in this moment. The time is right now. So again, what is the kingdom of God? This word kingdom, it is a noun, but it also, I think, if it helps you, think of it as a verb as well. It's used in both ways. And so the kingdom can be functionally defined like this. It can be the range of God's effective will. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is right here in front of you, it's the range of God's effective will. Or like my friend Jeff Christofferson likes to say, he says it's when King Jesus gets his way. I like that one because it's easy to remember. (laughs) When Jesus gets his way. And so what does it mean for the kingdom of God to be here now in this room, in my heart, over my mind, in your home, on your street corner, and in your office? It's when King Jesus is getting his way, which again, if he is good, then that is a good thing. That's part of this faith thing in Jesus is we believe that he is good and he has our good in mind. I think about um, Mufasa, right? Remember when he's got like uh, 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 Simba? And they're on the rock and they're looking out above the, the plains. And he's like, where's our kingdom? Everything the light touches. I can't speak that low, but you know, like it's like nice, sexy, low man voice, you know. And so I, I think, right, like the, the, the range of our effective will. How many of you, if you have kids in the room, you know that kids are constantly trying to figure out their kingdom, aren't they? Right, they're like constantly pushing the boundaries of the range of their effective will. <laughs> like, like how much can I get away with before mom or dad are like, Pfft. Like, that's it. That's where yours ends and mine begins, right? And so for most of them, it's like this big, right? <laughs> this is the range of your effective will, whatever you don't say out loud. That's, that's what you're allowed to have. And so then as you and I grow into adulthood, we, we are constantly kind of checking the range of our effective will, aren't we? So think about the range of your own effective will. So your home is probably a sign wherever you call your, your home. It's kind of this external sign of your internal will, right? You kind of get to make it your own. This is my space. And the way that you dress is the, maybe a range of your effective will. And the way you use your time is the range of your effective will. And the way you use money and stuff and the character that you have, those are the ranges of your effective will. That's a good thing. And so when we we talk about the kingdom of God, what we're talking about, what Jesus is talking about, the kingdom of God is here. It's the range of God's effective will working in and through us into the areas around us. And Jesus says, it has come near, like right here in front of you, meaning you're not far from it. It's arrived, it's available, it's right here in front of you. And with this comes the restoration of God and humanity, and humanity to one another, the brokenness that we see in our own relationships, Jesus and God's effective will is restoring all of that. And so the the center of Jesus' message, the center of this good news, is this concept of the kingdom of God. It's used over 122 times in the Gospels. And so when you think about what is the good news, is it that God sent his only son to die in our place for our sins, to save us and set us free? Is it so that God so loved the world that he gave? Absolutely it is that. 
but it's got a range and a purpose that we can't afford to miss. And so in Genesis 1, if you go back and read it on your own time, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, there's this incredible language of like kings and queens and this, this kind of royal language that's given over humanity. And so in creation, before sin enters the world, you and I are created in the image of God to rule and reign alongside God. So God has an effective will, and we are called kings and queens, invited to co-rule and co-reign with God over the creation. That's the picture we see before sin enters the world. And the problem that you and I are experiencing today is a lie shows up, that says you can't trust God's effective will and reign. And so you need to extend your own effective rule and reign. And so Adam and Eve rebel against God, establish their own rule and reign, and sin and death have been plaguing us ever since. And while there are good functions still in us, thanks to the image of God and being created in his image, there's a lot of really dysfunctional stuff in our world. Regardless of your faith journey, every world religion and every significant faith leader across history has agreed that there is something deeply wrong with the human condition. And the Genesis account is that you and I have rebelled against God to establish our own rule and reign. And so then what does Jesus do? He comes to bring back his kingdom over our hearts and our minds. And so, a couple of observations as we land our time together. I'm gonna invite Daniel to come. A couple of observations over Jesus and his kingdom in response to our rebellion, in response to our brokenness, in response to our inability to establish our rule and reign in a way that brings life. Everyone in the room has tried that, right? You've tried to establish your rule and reign in every area of life, and it's met with, with all kinds of different issues and brokenness. And so then Jesus comes, and with his kingdom comes a couple of things. Number one, he says that the kingdom is here and it is coming. This is really important. That with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, this is here and now and not yet. That Jesus is making all things new, that he not only restores us internally and gives us new life and a new way to, to be human, a new way to do relationships, a new way to think community, a new way to relate with God, but he's also making us new. That whole becoming conversation we talked about last week. And so this already not yet reality of Jesus and his kingdom, that he's coming back again to finalize and make all things new. That's a big part of it. But number two, this kingdom of Jesus is upside down of every other kingdom on the planet. Think of Jesus' kind of famous words, the last will be first and the first will be last. Does that sound upside down to you? It looks like nothing in the corporate ladder that you and I chase after. So Jesus wasn't like any of the other kings on the planet. He didn't show up with an army and defeat his enemies. He died for his enemies. That's the kind of king that Jesus is. In a, in a world where might made right, Jesus showed up as a servant, as the servant king, as the great witness of God's goodness. And on the cross, this is the good news, Jesus took the sin and death and oppression all of us are faced, faced with, and he died for the very people that rebelled against him and his rule and reign. What kind of king does that? That's the Jesus that we follow. But the turning point 
is that when Jesus was murdered on a cross and buried and rose again, in that he broke sin and defeated death and overcome, overcame the devil and he gives us power and new life in this kingdom. This is the invitation from Jesus. But it doesn't stop there because that's, real, that's true for us. But here's the beauty is that this kingdom expands and grows not through coercive force, not through shouting on street corners, not through manipulative conversations, not through give a little bit of money and God might like you, not through behavior modification. This kingdom expands and grows through suffering love as modeled by King Jesus himself. And so the boldness that we pray for, the space that we come to continue to live out this kingdom reality is a space of suffering love. Where we say, you know what, it's not about me, but it's about King Jesus and his good news for you. That's the love he loved us with. It's the love that we're invited to share with the world. And lastly, this kingdom is made available to everyone. This is really important. This kingdom is made available to everyone. And the beauty for you and I is as we wrestle with what it it means to share the good news, it also maybe is helpful for us to sit in how we got here in the first place. So what was the Jesus original invitation? It was two words, repent and believe. How do we gain access into this kingdom? How does this kingdom get into our head, hearts, and hands and then begin begin to work itself out through suffering love into the world around us? How do we become people of love? And the invitation from Jesus was very simple. Repent and believe. And this is not stop sinning and agree in your mind that Jesus is God. That's, That's not the invitation. What is it? To repent literally means to change your mind, to change your worldview. So let me give you a quote because I think this is a beautiful summary of what we're talking about today from John Mark Homer. He says, this is his his abbreviation of Jesus' words. He says, rethink everything you think you know about who God is, who you are, and what the good life you crave actually is. That's what it means to repent. And put your trust and confidence in me, Jesus, to heal you and save you and free you and lead you to the life that you ache for. That's the invitation of Jesus, to repent and believe, to trust in Jesus and his kingdom. And Jesus' teaching is radical. It's upside down. And it's what changes us and it changes the world. And so the invitation to follow Jesus is this lifelong process. It begins in a moment when you and I repent and believe and step into Jesus' invitation and his kingdom, that it comes alive in our hearts and our minds. He makes us new and we are adopted into the family of God. That is a reality. But then it is a lifelong process of deepening our surrender to Jesus and his effective will over our lives. That's the journey of following Jesus. So here's some next steps for you. As you and I reflect and respond, we're going to have some time of worship and a time of of, um, just sitting together in this. But the invitation, first and foremost, is from Jesus for you and I to repent and believe. And if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, the invitation is for you. I'm so grateful that 15 years old, someone told me that Jesus loved me and and he died for me and rose again to save me and set me free. And this inbreaking kingdom of God not only transformed my life, but has been working in and through my life. So if you've never done that today, you have the choice. 
the invitation from Jesus to repent and believe in who he says he is and what he can do in your life. But if you're a follower of Jesus, the same invitation remains over and over again. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Change the way that I'm thinking. Press into Jesus and his worldview and his way. Trust in him, his person, and his character. And you and I both know, even if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, that that is sometimes challenging on a Monday. So here's the invitation, repent and believe. If you've never been baptized, the invitation to follow Jesus is then met with the invitation to be baptized, to publicly identify with Jesus through baptism, to go under the water, come back up to identify with Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, that you are made new, that the old you is gone and Jesus has made you new. If you want to grow in what it means to live out and share and, and be a witness of the good news. Next week's training is built for you. It's an incredibly practical way to be a witness in our words and our deeds of the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. If you've not joined a city group, it's a massive part of fleshing these things out in community. And so I want to invite you to that, to people around you who love you and are committed to you in the process of discipling and apprenticing under Jesus. And lastly, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday of next week. If we were to wake up every morning and repent and believe and repent and believe. And so we're going to sing some songs together and it's an opportunity to repent and believe and repent and believe. And so I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to sing together, okay? God, thank you so much for the space that we have. Thank you for my friends in the room. God, I pray that the priority of your heart would begin to get on our heart, that you came to seek and save the lost. For many of us, that includes us. For some in the room, maybe today, that would grip their heart for the first time and they would repent and believe. Trust in you today. Jesus, we give you the next couple of songs. We give you the space of our time together and we ask that you meet with us, that your spirit guide and direct us if there are things that we need to surrender and respond to, things we need prayer over, spaces that you're working. Help us to believe in you, to repent and obey. It's in Jesus' name, amen.